Good morning, Central Church. How's everyone? Awesome, awesome. 80 degrees, late October. The Vikings are still in first place. Miracle upon miracle, blessing upon blessing. Wow, God is good. <laughs> hey, three times a year we celebrate uh, water baptism, and that's an opportunity for people to stand up publicly and declare, I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm not ashamed to say it. November 20th, uh, Sunday night, is our next baptism service. Um, baptism is not so much water baptism, not so much an issue of salvation. In other words, you don't uh, get water baptized in order to be saved. You get water baptized because you are saved. So it's an issue of obedience, following the teachings of Christ. Um, Jesus said to the disciples, go and make disciples of the nations and then baptize them once they're disciples. Peter said, repent, turn from your sin and turn to God and be baptized. That, that seems to be the order. So if you've made a decision to follow Christ, to make him your, your Lord and Savior, but you've not been water baptized since making that decision, you need to follow the Lord in obedience and do that. Take a look. I didn't know if I was completely ready to commit my life to God. Instead of everyone publicly like pushing me to get baptized, it was more like awkward. I'm the first person. I want to be able to do this right, and I want to do it for the right reasons. I always thought that it's not right to get rebaptized. I think for me, it was more of a, a pride thing. I made it way too complicated than it needed to be. It was mostly out of fear. I allowed shame to keep me from feeling worthy of publicly proclaiming freedom from my sin. My shame is gone. That last breath that I took before being submerged and the physical cleansing that I felt was a tangible reminder that I no longer bear that shame. Let your light shine for Jesus today and I feel more comfortable showing that through the way I act. In the next few weeks, I really felt the Holy Spirit walking with me in that time. I found freedom from the chains that were holding me back. I really felt a peace of mind. I feel a greater sense of peace, a greater sense of boldness. More faith now, more confidence in uh, who God is, a deeper connection with Him. Baptism has been a tangible like event that I can look back on and say, wow, I've, yeah, I belong to Christ.
All right, if you need to make that decision, we're going to put up a QR code here and a, a number to text to. Uh, take a picture of that. Take your phone out if you, if you want to be water baptized and, and follow up with us. You need to take a class. So if you contact us, we will contact you, follow up with you. Short class. We just need to make sure you understand what it means to be a Christ follower and that you've made that commitment before you're water baptized. So uh, go ahead and take a picture of that or scan that if you need to now. Um, all right, if you have a Bible this morning, please take it out. I hope you do. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing our series called Extraordinary. It's a study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're also continuing our adult life group curriculum, which is called Heart of the Matter. This is week five. Our adult life groups are following what we're doing on the weekend. So the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that you hear today, you'll be discussing in your life group when you gather together. So I hope you've been enjoying that, that time as well. The, the title of my message this morning in, um, in the Sermon on the Mount is Living Above Justice. Living Above Justice. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for the power of your word. Thank you that it is, it is life-altering. It's the means of salvation as we understand it and, and put our trust in what Christ has done. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would uh, allow the Holy Spirit to make the truth alive, that you would teach us, that you would use my words, Lord, for those that are here live, for those that are uh, watching online or in other contexts, that, Lord, they would, um, th th through the words that are spoken, they would understand your truth and apply it in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're joining us online this morning, whether that's Facebook Live or our website, or if you're in the concourse, or if you're in Overflow in Oakwood Chapel, thanks for joining us this morning. And those of you that are here in the worship center, it's great to be with you. Selfishness is the language of superiority. <laughs> what does that mean? Selfishness is the language of superiority. Selfishness communicates something to people. It communicates something to those around us. Selfishness communicates that we believe we are more important than them. Selfishness communicates by actions, attitudes, and words that we are more important than the people around us. And, and we speak the language of superiority all the time without even knowing it. So you're in line at the grocery store, and it's kind of taken a while, and it's, it's a long line, and the check stand next to yours opens up. And instead of tapping the person in front of you and saying, hey, you've been here longer, that, that check stand's open, you just bolt for the check stand. And you get there in front of everyone that's been waiting in line. That's the language of superiority. You're saying, hey, I know you've been here longer than me, but my time is more valuable than yours. I'm kind of a bigger deal than you are, so I deserve to go in front of you. Hey, kids, when you, when you complain about what's for dinner... That's the language of superiority. You're saying, what I want for dinner is more important than what anybody else wants for dinner. So you should have, you should have checked with me because, because my opinions matter more than anyone else's. That's the, that's the language, whether it's a, a facial expression or words, it's the language of superiority. Now, this has probably never happened to me, so let's just, let's just say this is, this is hypothetical, but I could be driving in Sioux Falls um, on like a two-lane road, two-lane street, and there, there's two cars in front of me side by side going exactly the same speed, either, either at the speed limit or under the speed limit. Now, it's hypothetical because nobody ever drives under the speed limit in Sioux Falls. We all know that, right? So if they're driving under the speed limit and I can't get around them, 
If I pull up right behind them and tailgate them or honk my horn or make rude gestures or verbalize my displeasure, that's the language of superiority. That's saying, hey, you know what? Get out of my way. Where I'm going is more important than where you're going. Um, My schedule is more important than your schedule. It's the language of superiority. I'm more important than you are. Guys, you could be sitting on your couch watching TV and your wife comes out of the bedroom in a new outfit. And she says, hey, honey, what do you think? If the first words out of your mouth are, how much did that cost? Instead of, wow, babe, you look really hot. That's the language of superiority. Because you're saying, my budget that I painstakingly put together is more important right now than your feelings. So ladies, to help your husbands, uh, to prevent them from speaking the language of superiority, I just gave you permission to go buy a new outfit. You're welcome. You're welcome for that. (laughs) <laughs> so you say, okay, Jeff, then, then I'm going to treat people as though they're equal to me. I, I'm going to give people equal value. I'm not going to act as though I'm more important. Than, and that sounds really noble. That, that's so noble of you until Jesus comes along. And Jesus says, that, that's not good enough. I actually want you to treat people as though they have greater value than you, as though they're more important than you. And then he says, especially those that don't deserve it. Ouch. Did Jesus really say that? Like, we're to to treat people with greater honor, especially the ones that don't deserve it? Well, let's read our text this morning. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 38. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus said, you've heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat as well. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Lex talionis, Latin phrase for the law of retribution or the law of justice. Uh, the, the, the law of retribution was not initiated so that people could take personal retaliation on people because when that happened, people usually abused that. They usually punished the person more than they were punished. But, but what it did was it created a legal system a legal system that guaranteed that there was equal punishment. In other words, the punishment has to fit the crime. And so the, the, the concept of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth created this legal system where there was going to be fair judgment, where, where you are going to get what you receive. By Jesus' time, there, there was very little, if any, physical retaliation. In other words, you get smacked in the mouth, you didn't smack the person back in the mouth. You get your teeth knocked out, you don't count how many teeth you lost, and then you exactly knock out that many teeth in the other person, or whatever. It was, it was handled in court. And it was much like it is today where there was financial compensation given for your loss. So they would determine what, what that injury cost you, and then they would agree on some settlement some amount of money that would, that would take care of the damages that you incurred as a result of what that person did to you. So the, the letter of the law, lex talionis, is justice. 
I give you what you deserve. You do this to me. In fairness, I do that to you. The spirit of the law is grace. I don't give you what you deserve. Letter of the law is justice. I give you what you deserve. Tit for tat. You do this to me. In fairness, I do that to you. Jesus comes along and he says, the spirit of the law is grace. I give you what you actually don't deserve. And then Jesus gives us three examples in this text to illustrate what the spirit of the law, which is grace, looks like in life circumstance. Now, I have to say this up front. These are not new laws. These are not new rules. These are principles. These are truths that guide our decision-making process whenever we experience injustice in life, okay? So I believe we now as Christians have the Holy Spirit. And, and every time we're in that situation where, we're, where we experience injustice, we have to take these principles that we're about to learn and we have to ask the Holy Spirit, how do I apply that principle in this circumstance? These aren't laws that you follow ipso facto. They, they take a little bit of tenderness and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And, and it'll make a little more sense as we, as we go along. Again, letter of the law, justice. I give to you what you gave to me. Spirit of the law is grace. I give you what you don't deserve. So if, if I'm to extend grace to people, especially those that don't deserve it, what does that look like? What does it look like to treat people with grace? And the first thing is we have to overcome insults. We have to be able to overcome insults. So let's read verses 38 and 39 again. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Justice. But I say to you, don't show opposition against an evil person. That would be justice. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek toward them also. How do we overlook insults? Most people are right-handed. So when Jesus says if someone, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, that means it's a backhand. That if, you, if you're right-handed and you punch someone in the face, you're going to hit them on the left cheek. So Jesus is not talking about physical assault here. He's talking about public humiliation. He's talking about being offended. He's talking about being insulted. He's talking about being demeaned. He's talking about being dishonored by somebody. And justice would say, they insult you, what do you do? You insult them back. They try to dishonor you, you dishonor them. Letter of the law. Jesus comes along and says that the spirit of the law is grace. So, so do you know what it means to turn the other cheek? It simply means to not respond to an insult with an insult. To not respond to somebody trying to dishonor you by trying to dishonor them back. That would be justice, not, not grace. And so you know what happens when we turn the other cheek to people and don't respond that, that way? It communicates something to them. It communicates that my value comes from God. My value in life comes from God. It doesn't come from you. Your words, your attitudes, your actions toward me, that doesn't determine my value. My, my value is not based on how you treat me. My value comes 
from God. I have value because God loves me. I have value because he says I'm his child. I have value because God has adopted me into his family. I have value because he's invited me to be part of his kingdom. I'm now a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's why I have value. I have value because in Christ all of my sins are forgiven. I have value because I have eternal life guaranteed through Christ. I have value because Jesus Christ has chosen to live inside of me. I am now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That gives me value. Your words don't give me value. Your actions toward me don't give me value. I I, I simply have value because of of, of God. So David says that in in Psalm uh, 62, verse 7. Here's what he says. My victory and honor come from where? God alone. Now, when did David say this? David said this in the wilderness when he was being chased and humiliated by King Saul. David was the next anointed king of Israel. He was going to be the next king of Israel. And the current king of Israel was humiliating him by driving him out of the kingdom and chasing him in the wilderness. David David knew that he was the, the, the next king, and he was not being treated that way. And in that moment, David says, my victory and my honor come from God alone. He, God, is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Listen, you didn't give me my honor, and you can't take it away. When God gives you honor, no one can take that away. When God gives you value, no one can take that away. When God gives you a sense of worth, no one can take that away. So you're not looking to people to give you honor. You're not looking to people to give you value. You're not looking to people to give you glory. And Jesus warned us about that. In in John chapter 5, verse 44, he says this, He says, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Man, you're looking looking to get affirmed and valued and find your worth from people. Jesus says, you're only going to find true worth when you find it in God, when your glory comes from Him, from your relationship with Him. So you didn't give me value, and you can't take my value away. So when I get kind of nasty or critical emails about my sermons, which I get from time to time. Um, to turn the other cheek means that I respond with grace. And so I'll, I'll sit down at the computer and respond, and I'll say in my mind, you piece of work. <laughs> but that's not what I type. I say, hey, thank you for taking the time to send this email. It's always good to get another perspective. I'm always trying to learn and get better. Thanks for your opinion. God bless you. Have a great day, you piece of work. (laughs) You didn't give me my value. I don't don't look to you to find. God gives me my my value. Every time I step out of the pulpit, God, God speaks to me. I don't need to hear you. I don't need, I mean, encouragement's great. We need to encourage one another. That's fine. But you can't dishonor me because you didn't give me my honor in the first place. So the, the, the letter of the law is justice. The letter of the law is someone insults you, you insult them back. The spirit of the law is I've been given value by God. I am free to value you. I am so valued by God that I'm now free to give value back to you. So I can respond to your email. I can respond to the way you treated me with grace because I've received grace from the Lord. The second thing we need to overcome is we need to overcome fear. Not only overcome insults to to give grace to people, but we need to overcome fear. So verse 40 says this. 
If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, there were basically two garments that, that people wore in those days. There was an undergarment, and then there was an outer garment, which was called your cloak or your coat um, or your robe. And the, the outer garment was protected by Jewish law. So let's go back to, to Exodus chapter 22 and see exactly what the law said about that outer garment, which Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, meaning you were suing them, they owed you something, and they offered their coat as collateral or as a pledge, you have to return it by sunset because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. So God says, even if, even if someone says, you can have my coat to make up for the loss or whatever, you have to give it back to them during the evening so that they're not too cold. So there's, there's fear in giving up your coat. The fear is, I might freeze. The, the, the fear is, what am I going to do at night? What am I going to, what am I going to sleep in? And, and do, you know what you, do you know what you tell people when you choose to, or what you're doing when you choose to give your coat? You're, you're denying your rights. You're laying down your rights. This is a legal right. I have a right to my coat. And Jesus says there are situations that you need to lay down your rights. And when we lay down our rights, when, when we, we say, I don't, I'm not worried about giving up my coat. I'm not worried about what I'm going to do at night. I'm not, I'm not worried about uh, you know, laying down my rights and what's going to happen. We, we communicate to people that my provision comes from God. My provision comes from God. I'm not worried about laying down my rights. I'm not worried about giving up my coat because God's going to provide. I'm not, I'm not worried because I know you're not my provider. You're not my source. You're not the one that, that gives me what I need. God is. And so I'm, I'm comfortable trusting in the Lord to provide everything that I need. So as scary as laying down your personal rights are, there's an element of faith and trust that says, I, I believe God will provide. So I've told this story before. If you've, if you've heard it, just, just bear with me. But uh, when I was little, I, I collected baseball cards. And I had boxfuls of baseball cards that were in my garage. Well, later in life, after we got married, my wife, Shirlene, and I rented my parents' house. And I was rummaging around in the garage one day and found those baseball cards. And they were, like, like worth something now. They were older. And so I got all of them, and I started putting them together. And I started buying new cards. I started buying annual sets, like 1983, the whole set, and so, uh, so on. Uh, and I had one, one particular set, 1970, that Shirlene, it wasn't complete. Shirlene and I started going to card shows, and we started buying all of the valuable cards that we needed for that set. And we completed the set, and it was worth a lot of money. All the Hall of Famers were in that set, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, um, uh, who else? Nolan Ryan was like rookie card. I mean, there's a lot of valuable cards in that set. So there was a, a back room to the house that my parents were renting to us, and we would rent it out to people just to get a little bit of extra money for rent. And we rented it out to this young guy, and he collected baseball cards too. And so we would talk about our collections and, you know, sh share information and stuff. Well, I didn't know it, but he was sneaking into our house and stealing my cards. So he'd go through every set and pull out all of the star cards, all the valuable cards. And he did that with that 1970 set. And so I was, I was going through my cards one day, and I'm like, I was looking for one particular card. I'm like, where is that? And then I started going through the whole set. Wait, 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 wait. Every valuable card's gone. 
Then I started pulling every set out, and it's like every valuable card is gone. And so I, I, he had to have done it. And so I confronted him. He denied it. He denied it. He denied it. Finally confessed that he did it. I said, well, just give me the cards back. He goes, I don't have them. I said, where are they? He said, I sold them. I said, just give me the money then. He said, I don't have it. I gambled it away. So no way to get this back. I'm furious. She's more furious than I am, Shirlene, because we had put a lot of time into putting these sets together, going to card shows and different things. So I, I, he says to me, I'll, I'll pay every card back. And I said, you're right, you'll pay every card back. So I made up a contract. And I, I typed on the contract, every card and its value. And he agreed to it. And he signed it, I signed it, she signed it. It was a legal contract that he owed me. All right, so a week later, I'm, I'm reading the Bible. And I read the parallel passage to the passage we're looking at today in Luke. And in Luke it says, if anybody takes from you or steals from you, don't demand it back. I said, Lord, baseball cards weren't even invented when you said that. <laughs> you are not talking about baseball cards. There, there is absolutely no way. You didn't mean that. And, and the Holy Spirit just said, give, give up your right. It's like, Lord, I have a right to this. You do have a right. And I'm asking you to lay it down because I want you to extend grace. I want this young man to understand what grace is. Give him what he doesn't deserve. He deserves punishment. He, he deserves to pay everything back to the penny. But what if he experienced from a Christian genuine grace when, when he didn't deserve it? So I did it. Went to him. He couldn't believe it. Tore the contract up. Said, you're free from that. I never, and then we said he couldn't live there anymore. And because and, uh, <laughs> I wanted to keep, keep the cards I had left. And I never saw him again. I don't know, I don't know how, that, how that offering of grace impacted him. But, but a couple of years ago, uh, someone knew about that story, and, and someone came to me, and they gave me a complete 1970 set of cards. See, when we, when we lay our rights down, the Lord is faithful to provide. And that's kind of a dumb example because it's physical stuff. But when we trust the Lord, the Lord says, if someone demands your shirt, even though you have a right to your coat, give it up and trust me. Trust that I will provide everything that you need. The third thing Jesus says is that we need to overcome um, resentment. We need to overcome resentment. Verse 41. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Well, what's happening here? Roman soldiers had the authority in the Roman Empire to pull any civilian in that they needed to help them do, do physical labor to, to complete their assignment. If they, needed, if they needed someone to do anything and they didn't want to do it themselves or they didn't have enough power to do it, then they could just pull anybody off the street. If they were farming, they could pull them off their plow. If they were fishermen, they could pull them off their boat. Whatever they needed, they could stop them. Incredibly inconvenient to the people. And they, that, that even included their, their carrying their packs, and the packs weighed up to 80 pounds. They could just pull a civilian in and say, I need you to carry this pack. They were limited to one mile. The, the most obvious place in the New Testament where we see this is when Jesus couldn't carry his cross anymore, and the Roman soldiers grabbed a guy named Simon from Cyrene, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. That's the same principle. They, they forced him to do something that was part of their assignment. And so to, to the Jews, this was humiliating. 
The Jews were successful people. The, the Jews were financially successful. And to be asked to stop what they were doing and, and do slave labor was like putting them in the lowest class of society. So they were seen now by people doing this, these menial tasks like slaves. And this deep-seated deep resentment began to brew toward Romans. So the Romans were their enemies in life. Jesus says, when your enemies oppress or shame or dishonor or humiliate you like the Roman soldiers were doing to them, don't give justice, give grace. Don't give them what they deserve. They, they, they by law, deserved a mile. Give them more than they deserve. Extend to them grace. Now, here's the catch. When we extend grace to people, when we walk the extra mile, here's what we say to them. My joy comes from the Lord. My joy doesn't come from how you treat me. My, my joy doesn't come from the words that you speak to me. Uh, in his presence is fullness of joy, amen? The joy of the Lord is my strength. So whether or not I'm joyful is not determined by the circumstances of my life. Whether people are abusing me or oppressing me or ridiculing me or dishonoring me, that's not what determines whether I have joy. My joy is rooted in God alone. He is my source of joy. So when we, when we walk the extra mile, when we do more than what is asked of us, it's an extension of grace, and we're communicating that, that God is our source of joy. I came across this quote this week from Donald Hagner in, in his commentary on Matthew, and here's what he said. I love this quote. It's the unworthy, that means us, the sinners, those that didn't deserve God's grace. It's the unworthy who have experienced the good things of the kingdom of God. Raise your hand if you've experienced the good things of the kingdom of God. Amen? God's goodness. It's the unworthy who have experienced the good things of the kingdom of God. And as they have experienced, I love this phrase, the surprise of unexpected grace. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It's unexpected. It's like, God, how can you be so gracious with me? How can you be so loving to me, considering my past, considering who, how can you be good to me? We, we've experienced the surprise of unexpected grace, so we act in a similar manner toward the undeserving among us. Because, because we've been surprised with grace, we can surprise other people in our lives with grace. So let me ask this, who is your enemy? Who are you resentful toward right now? Who in your life doesn't deserve grace? The extra mile principle that Jesus is talking about isn't for those that we love. It's for those we resent. The extra mile principle isn't for those who love us. It's for our enemies. The powerful lesson that Jesus is sharing with us is, I don't find joy in retaliation or getting even. You'll never find joy in retaliation. You, you might think there's going to be joy in vengeance. You might think there's going to be joy in justice. But if there's any, it's very short-lived. The, the, the joy comes from God when I overcome my resentment by extending grace. It's when I let go of resentment. 
It's when I choose to walk the extra mile of grace. And, and here's what I believe. I think when we're carrying the enemy's pack, we're full of resentment. When we're forced to carry that pack, and, it's, and we have to go a mile, man. We're, we're angry, we're resentful, we're bitter toward them. But when we get to the end of that, if we choose to extend grace, if we choose to walk the extra mile, it's in that extra mile that we have time to begin to realize how good God's been to us. We have time to re re realize that, that we find release and we find joy, not in carrying the pack of resentment, but in getting rid of, getting rid of that pack and carrying the pack of grace in our lives toward that person. And, and we, that, that second mile just gives us time to really think about where our joy comes from and how we lose our resentment. I think it's in the second mile, if we're honest with the Lord and we're willing to extend grace, that our hearts are filled again with joy and drained of resentment. When we're able to say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give them what they deserve. I'm going to give them what they don't deserve. I'm not going to go by the letter of the law. This sermon is called Living Above Justice and Living in the Realm of Grace. And when you make that decision, I believe you find the joy of the Lord fills your heart. The extraordinary life is a, is a life empowered by the Spirit. When we talk about turning the other cheek and giving up your rights and, and walking the extra mile, that's not something that if you just dig deep enough in your human will, you're going to find. You're not going to find it there. You're going to find resentment. You're going to find bitterness. You're going to find rebellion. You're going to find hardness of heart. You're not going to find a willingness to give that up. It's when you tap in to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, the spirit of love, the spirit of joy. It's when you tap into the Holy Spirit and lean into Him that you are able to turn the other cheek. It, it's that when, when you're able to lay down your rights. It's, it's that moment because this, this extraordinary life is a life above the realm of the natural. It's supernatural. And if we want to live the extraordinary life that Jesus invites us to, the life of the kingdom, it's a life beyond just our flesh and our own human will. We can live above the realm of justice through Christ and we can live in the realm of grace. If, if you're in bondage today to the opinions of people, if you're in bondage today to fear, if you're in bondage today to resentment, you can be set free, amen? You can be set free by turning the other cheek, not insult for insult. You can be set free by laying down your rights and not, not forcing them to, you know, or, or keeping your coat. You can, you can find freedom today by walking the extra mile, giving them what they don't deserve. That's when he sets you free. Jesus calls us to overcome insults by realizing that our value comes from God. He, he calls us to lay down our rights by knowing that our provision comes from God. He calls us to overcome resentment by knowing that our joy comes from God. So as we close, what would your marriage look like if you followed these principles, if you didn't return insult for insult, if you didn't demand your rights, if you knew that you had been treated wrongly, but you didn't hold them to that, but you let it go, what, what would it look like if you, if you went the extra mile, if you extended grace when they didn't deserve grace? What would your friendships look like? What would your family look like if you began to operate in the principles of the kingdom instead of the principles of the world? If you lifted yourself above the realm of justice into the realm of grace, what would your marriage 
look like? If just one of you did that, I don't even think both of you have to do that. If one of you chose to lay aside fear, to lay aside insults, and to lay aside resentment, I think your, your marriage would live in the realm of grace and your relationships would too. Would you stand with me this morning? If something that was shared today stirred something in your heart and you just want someone to pray with you, we're going to have some folks up here to pray. Please come forward before you leave. Let, let's pray today. Lord, this morning there's probably resentment in someone's heart toward humiliation, toward being treated inappropriately. There, there's probably fear in someone's heart about laying down their rights, not having what they need. Lord, there's probably a lack of joy in someone's life. Lord, there's, there's, there's probably a, an unwillingness to let go of an insult in someone's life, probably a lack of value. And so, Lord, we just give that to you this morning. We lay it down. And we say, Lord, in, in every situation where we experience injustice, allow us to remember these truths. And Holy Spirit, guide us in our application of these truths so that we can be free, so that we can live at the realm of grace and not in the realm of justice. In Christ's name, and everybody said amen. amen, amen. God bless you. Live in the realm of grace this week.